All right, so take your Bibles if you would. We are in a series, if you're new or visiting, help you catch up. We're in a series called Bearing Fruit. And uh, we believe it's an exciting time in our church life. And so we've been anticipating the Lord being at work this fall. And uh, we've walked through a series of fruitfulness. And so this morning we are on um, the idea of bearing fruit. And we'll start with this passage. And it's the fruit of the Spirit. We went over this last week. And so if you did not get last week, you can download it on the internet, right? Go to our website, download. Because these two messages are really peas in a pod. They're connected together. And it's really kind of part one and part two. So just so you know that. But it reads like this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. That uh, passage uh, is a great passage. Uh, I just want to open up this week with a qualifier from last week's message because uh, Wilson McSwain, our junior high guy, came because uh, I used the quote in there about us becoming that list in there and how that's a work of grace uh, that the Lord does in our life. And, and I used the quote by St. Francis of Assisi. It says, preach the gospel always, and if all else fails, use words. And Wilson came and said, I hate that quote. Okay. Now, you have to understand, number one, Wilson's in charge of junior high. Number two, he's evangelist by nature, all right? And so it just bends him out of shape that I use that quote because it, uh, yeah, point at him right there. And, uh, and he said, Steve, that's terrible. And I said, well, why is it terrible? Because he said, I'm afraid if you use that quote, people are just going to sit back and say, oh, okay, I don't have to share. I can just live the Christian life and it's all fine. I said, Wilson, that's not what the verse says. It says, preach the gospel always. Okay? And therefore, we wrestled back and forth. He said, yeah, but what about Romans? You know, Romans says, how then can they call on the one whom they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent, as is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news? So we had a great time going back and forth. And what I'd like to just say this morning, it's really an and both, right? Um, he had a good point, and I want to clarify that, that the quote of, the intention of using the quote wasn't, that we didn't have to share the gospel. Uh, the intention behind using the quote was that we need to become both the message and sharing the message. And if you share the message and you aren't the message, it's really dissonant, right? If you've ever been shared by somebody who's really out of whack and not walking, but they start telling you about Jesus, it just like, you know, nails on a chalkboard kind of thing, right? And so what we're saying here is that we should preach the gospel always with our actions and our words. And remember that uh, quote in Philemon, which says, uh, Philemon 1.6, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. And one of the things that uh, Wilson, I thought was a good emphasis is that there are some things that we do not know about Jesus until we share them with other people. We will never lower it. You can't textbook it, head knowledge it. It, you only see it when it happens in the lives of other people. And there's something too when you're sharing Jesus with someone and they come alive and you see it across the table from you, you suddenly know other things about the kingdom you never knew before, even though you always knew them. Because they come alive in a different way. So I thought that was a good balance point. Thank you, Wilson. Let's move on. All right? So I want you to go to the book of Ephesians. And I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 5. And I want to read uh, some verses to you that we don't normally think in this context, 
but they are perfect for this morning's context. Starts in verse 25, Ephesians chapter 5 says, Husbands, love your wives. How should you love them? It explains right here. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself. The idea here is that Jesus is creating a bride that he will present to himself. Think about that for a minute. That he will present her to himself as a radiant church. A radiant church. Go back to, do you remember when you first fell in love? Right? You remember why you fell in love? Do you remember the glow on your face and the giddiness in your stomach? And you remember the wow factor, right? Don't act like you didn't. Come on. It isn't that far back. Even you, Dave Weed. Come on. Here we go. Right? You remember that? It was just like, wow. And you were radiant with love. It permeated everything you did. It permeated your conversations. It permeated your actions. It permeated, it's like, wow, right? Hey, this is talking about the church becoming radiant. And what we're going to do this morning is talk about how uh, I've uh, said that my expressed desire for our church is that we would experience the manifest presence of God, right? That we would experience Him in a radiant way. And what does that look like? What that, how do you do that? We're going to talk about that this morning, so we probably should pray. Let's go. Father in heaven, as we come before this, this is not something that is of human works. This is not something we are going to get um, a grade on, something that we can check off our list. This is something about following your lead and falling in love with you and staying consistent in that. And this is something about what only you can do in our lives. We are not in and of ourselves radiant, um, Lord, and, and we do not come alive to your spirit by our own nature. It is by your gift and your saving us that we came alive to the kingdom. And Lord, since you brought us into the kingdom, you know how to keep us alive in the kingdom. And we ask that this morning you would have a, a wonderful open conversation with all of us individually. There may be a place that I highlight that will instantly connect and click with those uh, who are here listening. And Lord, that's where you take over. Have your conversation. And uh, you may point out one or two things that are incredibly important in that conversation, in that timing with that son or daughter that you're talking to. And so we open the service up to you and ask for your favor and ask us in your son's name. Amen. All right. Go back to um, the Galatians passage and it says in that passage those uh, who belong to christ jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passion desires what we said last week is they're just some things that gotta die right they gotta go they shouldn't have been there we maybe have kept them uh they're slimy little things and we love them and we pet it and we think it's our friend but it's going to turn around and bite us and it's going to kill us it is not our friend and jesus is warning us by his spirit for a reason why those have to go. And one of the reasons that it has to go is because sin produces death. The wages of sin is death. You don't get anything other than death. So there's no such thing as sin that doesn't harm somebody else. Sin always harms. It always kills. It always darkens. It always muddies. It always wipes out. Right? And so God is trying to get us to step away from some things, and there's some things that have to die. But the positive side of this message is the next verse where it says, since we live by the Spirit, 
Let us keep in step with the Spirit. And we said last week that this is literally where we get the term walking with God. When I say, well, here's how my walk with God is going, I'm talking about how I am trying to stay in step with Him. In other words, it's me following His lead by faith in His grace. I am putting my belief in Him and trusting Him and stepping where He's asked me to step. All right? And that sometimes takes incredible faith and incredible courage. Because from his side, it's not that scary. From our side, it's terrifying. All right? Let's just keep that straight. It, there's no surprises for Jesus. He isn't up in heaven going, ooh, oh, you know, right? That's not how it's working. But from our side, it can really be, ah! you're asking me to what? I don't think so. And if you think through your Christian life, how many things has Jesus asked you to step into that you would have never volunteered for, you never committed to, you didn't want to do it, and then later look back and went, oh, that was really cool, right? And so that's kind of what we're talking about this morning. So how do we keep in step? Well, what I want to do is walk you through the clearest picture that I have of it. I don't think I have a corner on it, but this is the clearest picture I have of how we can be a radiant church that experiences the manifest presence of God. And so when we're talking about this, remember the three questions from last week? The three questions last week were, do I see my sin as, do I see sin as sin? Right, that was question. Second question was, do I see my sin as sin? I can see your sin as sin, right? Uh, that's pretty easy to pick out. Jason, you better change, right? But I can, yeah. <laughs> but I can be pretty blind to my own stuff, right? And then the third question that we ask is, do I really want it to die? Or do I want to keep it alive? There's the battle right there is the, the, the critical running ridge that goes through my life and goes through your life in terms of am I agreeing with the Spirit and the Holy Spirit, what he's pointing out, or am I um, bargaining with God for what I want to keep alive? So what does that uh, process look like? Well, here's what the process looks like. Here's a continuum. And when you look on a continuum, and always realize that when you show a graph like this, this is rigid because it's two-dimensional. Life is never rigid or two-dimensional, right? It's always fluid and uh, that kind of stuff. But this will help us. So on one side is I'm obedient. On the other side, obviously, I'm disobedient. All right, so you can see those two big swings uh, on, on the continuum. On one side, another word that Scripture uses is light. Right? Jesus is the light of the world, but it also says that men preferred the darkness instead of the light. My tendency is to run away from the light if I'm covering or hiding something up. Uh, the other word used in the New Testament is life. Jesus is the life of the world, right? And the opposite of that, obviously, is death, right? So I'm choosing between life or death. On the left side, I've got repentance as a process and a way of life. On the right side, I've got hardness of heart. I start getting hard, I start getting jaded, I start getting resistance. And um, you've probably been at a place, like, have you ever been in a place where you just said, no, <clears throat> I will not. Right? I wish I had a chair, I could lean back and really dig in. Right? Have you ever just said no? Now I know nobody's going to say, yeah, I did, Mitch, here, I'll volunteer, tell a story. No, that's, okay, no. But I think all of us know that place where we did that, where we said, uh-uh. No, it's not going to happen. Now, what takes place in our life, if you 
uh, go back, is that the Holy Spirit is given as a deposit in our life. In other words, God establishes a beachhead. That's literally uh, a, a great image is World War II, where the Marines would come in like Iwo Jima or any of those places, and they'd establish a beachhead, a presence, a foothold. And from that foothold, they would radiate out to the entire island. And so the Holy Spirit establishes a beachhead, and then he draws a line and says, okay, everything on the left side of the line is okay. Head towards obedience, head towards light, head towards life, head towards repentance. Don't worry about all the gives and either ors right now. Just stay on this side of the line and keep moving, and we're good. If I jump on the other side of the line and go back to the stuff that God saved me from, we call that sin. That is missing the mark. I'm on the wrong side of the line. To get right again, what I have to do is what's biblically called repentance. And repentance, it does include sorrow and all that stuff, but really what repentance is, is I turn my thinking around. I agree with God what God's definition about that subject is. And if God says it's sin, I have to agree with him and get on the right side of the line, right? And uh, for most of us, when we first got saved, that's a pretty dramatic thing. There were dramatic things going on and there were dramatic changes. As you get older and go farther in the Christian life, they become more subtle, but they're no less dramatic, right? Because they have to do with what's going on inside of us. Now, like any relationship, uh, and this is true of God as well, relationships are not stagnant. They do not stop. So God relationally wants to grow and he moves the line back in the relationship, heading us towards those four categories on the left. He wants us to move in that direction. So the Holy Spirit draws a line, and usually, and God is amazingly sneaky good at this, all right? He draws the line right past one or two things I still want to hang on to, okay? And you're like, did you have to draw the line that far? Couldn't you have stopped before those two things? Why did we have to deal with, you ever said, why do we have to deal with that now? That's really not that important. But God happens to think that it is, all right? And right here is where I have to ask the question, do I agree with God as to what is sin? Do I see sin as sin? Or do I see it as um, something else? Do I see my sin as sin? And what happens is if I come across and grab that again, that's called what? Sin. What do I have to do right? I have to repent, right? Now, when I repent, can I see those two things, stuff one of them in my back pocket and kind of scootle back across the line going, hey, we're cool, me and you, Jesus, right? We got it, awesome, right? Is that going to work? You ever tried that? That's a miserable process, okay? Because the Holy Spirit and sin don't go together. Any of you notice that? doesn't work together too well. What's the difference? Because some would say, well, yeah, but so what? There's really not that much difference between me and anybody else I see in church, so I'm not really losing anything. What's really the difference? Here's where the difference is. If I'm on the left-hand side of the line, I have assurance. Assurance is confidence given from God that he and I are okay. If I'm on the other side of the line, I have insecurity. And a lot of times our driving insecurity comes out of we have held on to things that the Lord has told us we're supposed to let go of. It can be a thought, it can be a word, it can be an action, it really doesn't matter. Um, Satan doesn't care how he traps us, he just cares that he traps us. And then we talk about 
being in bondage. And we can become bondage to ideas and we can become in bondage to things. But I have to do the same thing to get going again, to get the relationship moving again, to get this sense that I and the Lord are stepping together again. I have to repent, right? Uh, if I'm on the left side of the line, I have clarity. I can see, oh, you ever actually drop something and went, oh, that's why the Lord wanted, duh, boom, right, kind of thing. If I'm on the other side of the line, everything's muddy. You ever tried to talk to somebody and say, well, you really got to get out of that? And they go, ah, that's kind of muddy. It's not as clear to me as it is to you. Well, there's a reason it becomes muddy. If I'm on this side, I, oops, sorry. If I'm on this side, I have single-mindedness of heart. I am committed to Jesus. I'm committed to his kingdom. I'm committed to his purposes in my life. If I don't, then I'm on the other side. I become double-minded. And James says, if I'm double-minded, I'm caught between two opinions. And if I'm double-minded, I become unstable in what? All my ways. Notice it doesn't say some of your ways. What happens is we start to become unstable when we say no to the Holy Spirit. We disagree where the line is. We get in trouble and we start to become insecure and then we start to become unstable. Uh, We start, we're caught with duplicitous thinking, to put it in a fancy term which basically means in English we're all screwed up, all right? Because we're of two minds. Yes, no, yes, no, ah, 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 right? Kind of deal. So when we're, we're looking at this, uh, all of us know this, I think. That I don't think you have to be, have a diagram to understand this process. What we get caught with is the human tendency to bargain with God because we don't like the starkness of this and we don't like the clarity of it because we really don't like our stuff pointed out that much. What we want to say to God is, you know, I know there's a couple things you should probably maybe tweak a little bit. But look at Sally over there. My goodness gracious, you could spend weeks on her. Why don't you go work with Sally? Because she really needs help. And then you could come back to me maybe three, four years later, and we could work on something together, right? And so we, we don't like the finger of God pointed at us. We forget that it's in love. We forget that he cares about us. And we forget that it's in our best interest. Um, what happens is, um, in, if I'm on this side of the line, I, oops, if I'm on this side of the line, I experience love, the love of God. But if I'm on this side of the line, what happens is I start taking offense. I start building an offense against God and against others. And I become hostile. And what happens is I do not like, what's behind this is I do not like the authority issue. It always comes down to control and who's in control. And when I'm stuck with this, what I say is, I really don't like the fact, God, that you're in control. I'd rather be in control. So I will tell you where the line is. Now, most of us aren't that bold, right? Because we know that's dumb. We know we cannot buck up God, go mano y mano with them, because we know we get our lights taken out. So that's a dumb way to operate. We go, that's, so here's what we do. We tend to bargain or negotiate. And we say to God, you know, sir, you are right. That is a dotted line. And you are accurate, dad, in saying that I'm on the wrong side. I, I agree with you on that. But dad, notice that's a dotted line. And God, this other line, that's a solid line. Now, dad, we all know that solid lines are much more important than dotted lines. 
So yeah, I'm not quite where you want me to be, but we all know this is salvation line and we know that's the important one. So I'm on the other side of that. And so even though I'm on the wrong side of the dotted line, I'm on the right side of the salvation line. So therefore you and I are okay, right? Now guys, try that in your marriage. How well that work? Okay. That, does that work in a marriage relationship if you do that? Well, it's okay, honey. We got married and I know I'm not doing what you want me to do, but we are married, so you should be happy with that. Does that go over very well? No, relationally, it doesn't work, right? So part of what we're trying to do here is we're talking about how do we keep in step with the Holy Spirit and how how does that work? And part of what I'm trying to get us to see is when we stay individually on the left hand side of the line, we start to become radiant. Our spirits open up. We start talking about that which we love. You cannot talk about, you cannot not talk about what you love, right? If we're into the Seahawks, what do we talk about? The Seahawks. If, we, you know, if we're into the Broncos, what do we talk about? God bless Zach and Dave Gamber, okay? Deluded children. Um, what are they talking about? Broncos, right? You talk about what you love. If we are in love with Jesus, we will talk about him. You don't have to be forced to. You will talk about him. And if I'm on the left-hand side in step with him, that will be the most natural thing in the world for me to talk about is him because I'm in step with him. On the other hand, if I'm on the right-hand side of that equation, I clam up real quick. I stop talking because I know there's garbage and I know there's baggage and I don't want anybody to know about the garbage or baggage, so I'm just going to go quiet, okay? And uh, God loves us enough to pry through that. And here's what really happens a lot of times is a lot of us have had a lot of stuff that's affected us, uh, you know, in the early years, say anywhere from 8 to 17, 8 to 23, somewhere in that range. And what we did is we uh, got saved and we put a, uh, got a suitcase and we put all that junk in the suitcase. We closed it, locked it and put the suitcase in a closet and said, I'm fine. And then we hit 45. And guess what happens at 45 and on? Everything starts burping out of the closet, right? And you can't keep it up. You're going, why do so many people in their 50s go to counseling? Because it's finally occurred to them what it is that really happened to them, and they're not okay. And I can't get past this, and I've got to do something because this is now killing me, all right? And that is uh, just a testimony to the fact that you can't stuff these things in your back pocket and think they're not going to have effect. Sin always kills There's no such thing, let me say it again, as sin that doesn't hurt somebody. Sin always hurts somebody, whether it's secret or not, all right? If nothing else, it hurts the heart of God. And if we're his children and we love him, we do not want to do things that hurt his heart. All right, now what would this look like in a person? So I've uh, I've got three people that I'm going to show you. And if I've Pegged you, it's not because I said, said, let's say, who can I pick on in the congregation and look at, you know, and, and, and get them up on the board. So if it comes close to you, it is totally, what's that disclaimer they always do on TV? It doesn't resemble any real, I don't know how it goes, but okay, it's not you, all right? I didn't pick you, but I had to pick something. So if it comes close to you, uh, just be blessed, all right? So here's how this works in us. So here's person number number one, and we'll take, Um, some of the fruits of the Spirit here, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, that stuff. This person with gentleness. Now, this person has gained quite a bit of ground. You can see they've come a long way. They have, they're quite a bit away from where they used to be and they're growing. 
And uh, they're heading towards that. So there's been quite a bit of ground gained, right? Uh, they could say, I, I've changed a lot in the area of gentleness. I've actually become much more gentle. Usually uh, gentleness shows up in two places. One, physically, right? We're too rough or too harsh, or it's our words. Almost always we're too harsh. We find ourselves barking and we're not gentle in our words. Uh, so here's gentleness. Now, here's one with patience. Notice patience hasn't gotten as far. The odds are really good that God would like to back this line up farther, but he just can't get anywhere because patience is really a struggle. Okay? God, I, I, I wanted it yesterday. I don't know why you're taking so long. For Pete's sakes, I've been praying about it for two weeks, and now... You know, this has been three years and I'm really frustrated. Why are you not answering this prayer? Why haven't you done it? And, and you know, we're the microwave generation and I, good Lord Jesus, how did you ever let those other people have driver's license? I, are you serious? You expect me to be patient with that idiot on the road? Seriously? Right? And we just chafe and patience is tough. We're, we're struggling. It's not, we're not gaining a lot of ground. It becomes very difficult for us. Then take another quality. Here's faithfulness. Now look at faithfulness. They've done well. They've done good. They're moving. They're moving towards the line and, and they have uh, trusted God and not only have they trusted Him by faith, but they are being faithful in what God's asked them to do. They show up. They're here. They're, you can count on them. And, and this is the kind of person that you go, wow, they're really faithful. Now notice the line is heading towards that solid line on obey light, life and repentance. And then here's what happens. The Holy Spirit gets that line all the way over there, and then he goes, awesome, next level. Next what? Next level. Mm, what next level? The next one. How many are there? Right? You ever get in that discussion with God? I, I thought I had this one down. What do you mean? We learn faithfulness. I don't need to relearn it. I'm good at it, right? Remember, you told me so. What next level? I don't like, how, whoa, how far does this thing go? You know, when I was in my 20s, everything was really black and white. Either you were faithful or you weren't, right? Now I'm in 57, I realize everything's layered. And I'm like, oh my goodness, is there a bottom to this thing? You know, and it gets kind of scary because this is where we get in trouble because we've gone as far as faithfulness as we think we should go, but it's not as far as Jesus thinks we should go. And Jesus seems to think that where he wants to go with it is more important than where I want to go with it. And so he keeps moving the line. And, it, you know, he's not really asking my permission. That's kind of weird, you know? But mom and dad, make, does that make total sense? Do you ask your kids, Johnny, can I have your permission to send you to bed? No. What does the parent say? Johnny, brush your teeth, bathroom, water, bed, right? And, and God works the same way with us. And so he's constantly trying to move that. Now, here's the, let's take this with the fruit of the Spirit and, and look at this in terms of different types of people. So here's person number one. The Holy Spirit has established the beachhead and he's trying to radiate out in these different areas. And you can see in this person, really good in faithfulness, like we saw in the last diagram. Not bad, you know, gaining in love, uh, gaining in peace, kindness, goodness, doing pretty well not doing so good with self-control joy not sure what that means and patience yeah 
Awesome. I should pray for that. Um, right? There's, those are more of a struggle. Those are difficult. So this person uh, is really helpful, uh, has a lot of self, or has a lot of uh, goodness and kindness, but um, has a problem with self-control and so, and a problem with patience. So they're they're easily triggered, right? They're going along, going along good, then all of a sudden blow up. Whoa! Where did that come from? Freak out everybody around them, right? I'm like ah, right? And and I didn't know you had that. Well. That part hasn't really been submitted to the Holy Spirit. Now you're saying, well, I'm no good at patience. You can't expect me to be a patient person. I'm not expecting you to be a patient person. Jesus is expecting you to be a patient person. Here's how this works. This is not by works. This is not, okay, man up, bootstraps, right? Try harder, get, get a better checklist, okay? Get a better grade. This is not what we're talking about. When we see patience, this shows us the law and it shows us what we're not good at. And this tells us we have to admit we need a savior, not just for salvation, but for sanctification. I need someone who will help me with the areas I am no good at. We have to go to the Lord and say, you know what? I'm terrible at patience. Yuck, fooey. Why did you ever come up with that word? That's awful. I can't do it. Jesus is good. Would you cooperate with me? I'll teach it to you. Okay, I'll do that. And if you start becoming really good in patience, what does it tell you? It is the Holy Spirit working through you, not yourself. He helped you become what you cannot otherwise become. Isn't that the message of the gospel? Right? And these areas that are terribly hard for us are put in place by God for purpose. In purpose would be even a better way to say it so that we can actually see the Holy Spirit at work in our life, changing us in an area that we're not naturally good at. Let's look at person number two. Here's person number two. Person number two, great self-control. Not too bad on love. Uh, Pretty good at peace, pretty good at kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Not so good at gentleness, not so good at joy, not so good at... Funny how joy and patience come back up, huh? You ever realize how closely those two are tied together? Patience and joy? Never mind, that's another message. We won't go there. All right, but you can see this person, a lot of self-control. This is discipline, discipline, discipline. You have to be disciplined in the church. You have to have Bible studies and you have to have discipleship and discipline, 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 right? And yet, they can't figure out why people don't want to be around them and why people are always kind of scooting back from them a little bit. And, and why they, nobody's really close to them and why they don't have best friends and, and they, they don't recognize their intensity level. So in their mind, if you talk to them, they would say, well, I, I was being very gentle. And in their mind, they really honestly think they were being very gentle. But if you take a scale of intensity and go from zero being, you know, way laid back Hawaiian beach culture to 10, you know, off the charts intense, they would say, well, I, I said that on a level two. But to all the people around them, it felt like a level eight, right? And they're like, wow, if that's what they think is a two, I don't even want to be close when the eight goes off. I'm, you know, I'm steering clear of that ship, right? And so they are surrounded by people and all alone. Now, what does that person need to do? That person needs to say, God, thank you that I naturally do some of these things really well. Thank you for self-control, faithfulness, goodness, kindness. You know what, Lord? I'm really bad at gentleness and I'm really bad at patience 
and I'm really bad at joy. Matter of fact, Lord, joy, I don't even know what the word means. Uh, I had a friend one time, I gave him a book, and it was on joy, because that was his struggle, and he came in and threw the book at me and said, I hate the book, and I hate you, and I don't even know what the stupid word means, nor do I want to. And he did, but he was just so frustrated because a very, very competent, accomplished person. This is no fool. This guy had major wheels. But when it came to gentleness and joy and patience, he didn't have it. And this is person has to let the Holy Spirit say, could you teach me how to be patient? Could you teach me how to be gentle? Could you teach me how to have joy? I don't know how to... I, I honestly don't even know how to experience it. And when that starts to push out, if you take those three, if you take gentleness and joy and patience, and already we've got self-control, love, goodness, kindness, and faithfulness there wrapped up, when that starts to push out in those other areas, what starts to happen? The person starts to become radiant because they already have four or five of those character qualities from the Holy Spirit. And when those other three start pushing out, people go, wow, Wow, I really see the Lord in your life lately. That's incredible. Like, you've never seen him before? Well, yeah, but there was always this kind of divot you'd hit, and you're not hitting that divot anymore. What happened? And the person say, you know, the Lord's been teaching me how to be patient by spirit, and I am absolutely terrible at it, but if I'm gaining ground on it, it's because the Lord's been helping me in that and teaching me that. And what happens is the person then starts to become what? Radiant right? Starts to become radiant. Start These areas start to push out and people start to recognize and they start to become area. So contrary to popular belief, I should work on the ones I'm strong on and not work on our weaknesses. A lot of times we should look at our weaknesses and say, God, you know what? If you made me those, the church and the world would know that was of you because I can't do those. And they know it, right? Especially if anybody else, your family. Your family knows. They know where the, the, the blind spots are, right? These are blind spots. I can't see them. You can see them in me, but I can't see them. And so, uh, and how do we usually respond when someone comes out and points out a blind spot? If they come out and say, hey, you've got a blind spot, here's what it is. Do we say, oh, bless you, brother. Thank you for your illumination. I appreciate your care about my future destiny and eternal spirit. And I'm so grateful. May I pray a blessing for you? Is that how we usually react? Oh, yeah, well, who told you? Stick it in your ear. You think you don't got problems? What do you, don't pick on me. Ah! Right? And we bark, and when that happens, we do that once or twice, we, okay, no mas, not going there anymore. Right? And we, then we back off, and so then what happens is we all stop fellowshipping, we all stop together, and we start to become the frozen chosen. All right? We sit there with our blind spots going, we all do good and we all love Jesus, but there's no radiance among us because we're losing the joy, we're losing the, pain, we're losing the stuff that's going out the window. Here's person number three. Person number three really struggles, really difficult. But there's one category they're really good in, that's faithfulness. They, they fall out of bed being faithful. The doors at the church are open, they show up. They, you need somebody, they're there. You've got something, and they will, they will be with you. They will carry the load. But the problem is they're really underdeveloped, immature in a lot of these other areas. So you almost don't know if you want them to show up or not. 
Because when they start talking to other people, yeah, they're faithful, but they're a wreck in these other categories and really immature. And so they sometimes inadvertently tend to do more damage than good. And so you're caught with the catch-22. Ah, what do I do? Because you want to affirm their faithfulness, but you also want to say, you know, there's some other areas you really need the Lord to help you in, to speak in. If you really want to do ministry and you really want to do other things, there's some areas that got to push out that you're going to have to ask the Lord about and stay in step with him on. Because if you don't, faithfulness is not enough to carry you. Can you see that? Having one great strength is awesome. We all probably have one or two major strengths in this. But that can't stand in and of itself. It's got to be balanced by the other character qualities. Notice it's called the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit. It's a singular, not a multiple. And so this is part of, we need to become like Jesus and look like Jesus. And this is precisely where we have to ask the question again, do I see sin as sin? What keeps a person so... um, deformed in those areas well there's probably some sin there do i see my sin as sin and and will i put it to death do i agree with god that there's some attitudes and things that gotta die that god can start to push out in some of those areas that spot right there we all know that spot right there requires incredible faith and it requires incredible courage and it's very scary a lot of times we are shaking in our boots going, you want me to do what? I, oh, really? And it's precisely there that we see God at work in our lives, and that's where we begin to become radiant. The difference is, um, back to this diagram, if I choose to stay on the right-hand side of the diagram, up here on the board, and I, and I look at that. If I choose to stay there, what happens is I'm now caught in what's called backsliding, all right? Um, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I went back to doing what I know I know how to do uh, in my own strength. And so we call that backsliding. We no longer are in the step with the Spirit. We have determined what the Christian, and we've set the standards for what my Christian life will look like. I'm really not even asking Jesus' opinion anymore. And so... I'm on on the right-hand side. Uh, And Jeremiah talks about this more than any other book. He's got about six or seven comments on backsliding. I'll just read two of them to you this morning. Jeremiah 2.19 says this, Your wickedness will punish you. Your backsliding will rebuke you. Have you ever chosen to backslide and then got rebuked by it? You just went, what was I thinking? Ah. Consider then and realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord your God and have no awe of me, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. When we step on the other side of the line, we start to lose our awe of God. And we start to lose our radiance. And we start to come up. Now, if we do that at large as a group of people, we then, as I said, become God's frozen chosen and we look like we're drinking pickle juice. Okay? And we all become Eeyores. Oh, the Christian life's so exciting. Yeah, I'm going to church. Sure is fun. Wish I could go to the Seahawks game. Got to be spiritual. Yeah, I'll pray. I should try that, I suppose. It won't do anything, but we'll give her a shot. You're supposed to, you know. And when you're in a group of fellowship like that, is that attractive? Is that 
Would you be compelled to be with a group of people like that? No, what are we compelled to be? We are compelled to be a group that's radiant. I get to go to church. The Lord's been at work in my life. He's been in my friend Biff and Scooter too. And me and Biff and Scooter are really having a great time being accountable together. And we've seen Jesus change this stuff. And we've seen him. He asked us to do this and none of us are good at it. But we've started and we've actually seen him open some stuff up for us. It's incredible. I'm actually praying with my wife. Like, there's got to be a God, right? And, and, and you weren't laughing on that one. Come on. And, right, and we start to, what, what, are we attracted to radiance? Oh, absolutely. That's one of the reasons we're attracted to Jesus is because he's radiant, he's patient, and he's full of joy, right? That's why we're attracted to him. And so if we choose to be on the other side of the line, then we're playing church. Then we are Christians, which is the weirdest thing in the world because what's the, what is the definition of a Christian? The definition, Christian means Christ follower. Christian means I'm in step with the Holy Spirit. But we have the label, but the reality died a long time ago. And God doesn't want a church full of a reality a long time ago. He wants a church full of reality now where we agree with him and this, again, is not uh, rubber stamp, cookie cutter kind of Christianity. This is vastly varied and different. And like, uh, like when you go on a mountaintop and go hiking and you see wildflowers blooming all over the place, you just go, this is unbelievable. Most of the people will never see this kind of beauty. You know what? That's true in churches too. Very few people see churches that are full of the radiant beauty of God like wildflowers on a mountain. Because as we all step, we don't all become the same. We radiate the glory of God in different ways. Just like a facet on a diamond, right? As you turn a diamond, it gives off different shots. We as a church, as we do that and we become radiant, we all are really wildly, weirdly different and yet amazingly, uniquely the same because it's the same spirit who gives the same fruit and gives the same gifts, right? And so the more we become like Jesus, the more different we are and yet the more we radiate the reality of the kingdom of God. If you went into a church like that, would you be attracted to that? Yes, you would, right? And so our challenge, if we want God to be manifest among us, is individually, couple-wise, family-wise, is to consistently being agreeing with the Holy Spirit. Where's the line? What side of the line am I on? And am I choosing assurance and clarity and singleness, heart and love, or am I choosing the other side, which just causes us all to clam up? There's a reason worship doesn't break out. If I said no to the Holy Spirit all week, am I going to be radiant with worship on Sunday morning? Mm -mm. Can't do it. It won't work in my spirit. Those two are directly, diametrically connected. Okay? And, and we have to realize that, that worship isn't just Sunday morning singing the songs. If we sing the songs, it's good. Worship is our pouring out our appreciation for what Jesus has done in our hearts during the week. But if we said no to him and stayed on the wrong side of the line, is there any appreciation? No. So backsliding is a tough, tough thing because we lose our awe of God. And I think you may know friends, you probably know family members, you probably know churches that have lost their awe of God. May this be a place where we never lose our awe of God. All right? We are not a great church because we're a great church. We're a great church because Jesus made us a great church. We shouldn't even be a church. The building you're sitting in right now is miraculous. Okay? We are here as a gift, and we better stay in awe of the one who gave because he's the one that created this, not us. Jeremiah says, Although our sins testify against us, 
O Lord. Do something for the sake of your great name. For our backsliding is great and we have sinned against you. Isn't that true? I mean, let's just call a spade a spade. We've all sinned. We've all said no. We all know this process. We've all been on the wrong side of the line. Many, multiple times, different layers and different levels. We've said, "Uh uh-uh, not doing it, right? And we have backslidden and it's cost us. It's cost the people around us. It's cost our family. It's cost our children, right? Uh, Terrible thing to have not gotten this when you had kids. Later to be a grandparent, realize you set your kids up so poorly because you didn't follow the spirit while you had them. Do it now. It goes very, very fast. Very, very quickly. Anybody in here as a grandparent would tell you that that is true. And it is true of our country that the church has backslidden. Lord, do something for the sake of your great name. This, let's wrap it all up. So here's the question this morning. When we look at all of this, what's the question? Do I really want to be like Jesus? Or do I just say I want to be like him and hang on to the stuff? Do, do I really want him and to be like him? If I do, I'll step with him. If I don't, I will posture or veil the reality, but the reality will have died a long time ago. You ever known a marriage that they were really in love, but the love died a long time ago? But they're still married, right? You know any churches that love Jesus, but the reality died a long time ago? Let's not be that. The whole purpose is not to rebuke us. The whole purpose this morning is to encourage us. He's still the Holy Spirit. He's still talking to you and me. And usually when he talks to us, he brings up one or two things. This is very kind of God, by the way, because if he wanted to, he could overwhelm us. And if there was anybody who would just go, wouldn't it be God? If he wanted to roll out a list and say, oh, you think you're hot stuff, let's roll it out. Right? Busted. That'd be a bad thing. What's great is he's kind. What's great is he's patient. What's great is he's gentle. Okay? But don't take that for weakness. Because he is not weak. He is the Lord God Almighty. And he won't put up with it forever. But he wants to encourage us so that we stay in step with him, that we could be a radiant church. A, a radiant church. Not just a church. Not just a church in Mill Creek. Not just a converged Northwest church. And all the labels we stick on a church. When's the last time you heard someone say, we're going over there because I heard that's a radiant church and there's something that God's doing in the midst of that group of people. I've got to check it out. Wow. Awesome, right? How's it done? If every one of us took the one step this week that the Holy Spirit talked to us about, we would be on the path and many of us have been on that path for years. Don't grow weary of doing good for in due time, God will bear fruit. All right? We will bear fruit. Let's keep stepping. What's the one thing? Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning uh, for being kind. Thanks for being a great dad. Lord, in this uh, sin-infested, sin-crusted world, things get so scrambled up, and we would admit many times we have accused you and held you hostage and uh, acted like that has disqualified you from your role as dad in our life, but that's not true. You are our father, and we have to respond well as children. And we want to tell you we're sorry. Boy, there's just looking, you just go, oh, 
Lord Jesus, please forgive. On the other hand, thanks for being faithful. Thank you for being patient. Thank you for being kind. Thank you that your kindness just rolls out and that you've stayed with us. You've not given up on us. Your love never fails. It never gives up. As we sang this morning, Lord, and what once seems so strange to us now is what we know is your incredible love. Lord, would you as dad again this week give us that one thing that you'd like us individually to focus on and take a step with you. Give us great faithfulness. Give us great courage. Give us, uh, even if we failed many times, might we have the wherewithal to say, I believe. I believe you've asked me and I believe I can take that step. Lord, that's your conversation with us, not mine. I pray you'd have a wonderful dialogue with your children this week. And we give that to you with great hope in your name. Amen.